One, two, three. If you close the door, the night could last forever. Leave the sun shine out and say hello to never. All the people are dancing and they're having such fun. I wish it could happen to me. But if you close the door, oh man, I can't believe I forgot something. You want to be prof- you like want to be professional though, and then and really you think, on top of stuff. Like my my whole way here, I was like on time, and I'm like oh look at this, it's in the morning. I'm like traveling, I'm <laughs> traveling with people. Morning. Yeah, yeah. I'm like traveling with people with real jobs because everybody's going to their job because it's the morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's not like this three o'clock in the afternoon. Everybody's like at their office type thing. Yeah. I'm like oh look at this. This is kind of like a job. I'm kind of like. Have everything together, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I forgot something. I was like, great, this is where my boss fires me like, at the real job. Yeah, I'm like, exactly. great, this is where I don't manage. Great, like the one day I get up and like get my shit together, and like, of course, I screwed up the meeting. I forgot the important oh, document for the meeting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. What? Don't you? This is your job. Yeah, we can't work like this. We're business. So, how was the uh, gig? Oh, explain nice. explain the gig maybe a little bit and um, then sure because I I mean I'm a I'm a composer but I'm st- I'm also composing on my instrument still um, like with the flute so it was me performing but I was performing with Lucio Caprice who I don't know if you know him he's an improviser um, does stuff with bass clarinet and saxophone but we had this really interesting combination of ideas. So I'm working on these sort of embouchure techniques with the flute where they're really fragile and unstable. And it's kind of only something at this point I'm working on for myself with the flute because with paper, first of all, it's so unpredictable that if I'm not controlling it, it's hard to like make decisions with within that system. Yeah. And with paper, it's just like really fine. It'd be, if I want to find some kind of notation system, it's going to take me a while. Um, but it's really un- unpredictable. So, but I'm I'm kind of exploring like the unpredictability, how to perform with this sort of like unpredictable element, and it was really and so I've I've kind of performed with it a couple times so far. Um, but this time I performed in duo with someone who recorded. He did field recordings, but he put large cardboard tubes around his microphones when he was recording so it changed and he had different sizes of them so, so it was like filtering it it was filtering it right yeah. so it, it was in each and so it's the same space that he filtered it but with different tubes and then he created a tape part with that plus some sign tones and i played like and my sounds were adding a layer of unpredictability as well as articulating like different parameters of that field recording. Shit, why didn't I go to this? How? Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was really nice. And then, but to, on top of it off, to, to sort of start it off, what he did was he had a live microphone going outside the window outside of the studio with the tube as well. So then we started off filtering the sounds from outside and I was playing against them on the flute. And then we cross-filtered it into his pre-recorded sounds. What was the end goal for this type of performance? What type of experience are you trying to give people? Um, I mean, for me, I was still thinking of it in the same way I think about my compositions and how I'm thinking about sound for myself, which is giving people a sound world where I'm showing different parameters of that sound world. That's how I was approaching how I was going to improvise against these sounds um so like either if i'm articulating the low spectrum or the high spectrum or different pitches or if i'm adding you know a layer of instant maybe it's like you know if the his sound is very low all of a sudden and i add more of like 
a higher whistle tony but unstable start it kind of adds like wind kind of sound or i can play actually the pitches that we're hearing in the tape part and i had i had listened to the tape part a lot beforehand and worked on like building some kind of structure against it but at the same time because my part was unpredictable like you know every time i play the flute with this technique like every time it different parts work differently so like sometimes like the lower unstable parts come out sometimes the higher parts do and so because of that i also have to be very flexible and and, and adaptable to that that's also the maybe that's the fun part though right or what yeah and what keeps it different each time and allows that system to be and i'm interested in this of kind of like when something is um, unstable but when you put it in a certain context where that instability adds adds like a richness to the sound you know and it like but you have to have it I think in certain contexts, because sometimes instability could be either one just like not working, you know, but it's nice that there was this layer of his tape part underneath it. So, yeah, I'm interested in this, like how to put certain sounds in different contexts. And then also how to, as myself as a performer and someone who's used to like doing something, you know, where it's like, okay, this is how I want it to be. And I've decided this beforehand. I've spent a lot of time thinking about why I want it. But suddenly it's like, okay, I have this system where... I know how it works, but it's going to be different each time. So I'm actually having to like be at one, be at peace with the unpredictability you, or something. I mean, you but know? do you do you ever, if you found a way to make it predictable, would you make it predictable? Mm. Like, do you enjoy, is the unpredictability part of the whatever makes it special? And then if you were able to like find a way to nail down these techniques where not only you could do it consistently all the time, but also you'd be able to notate it where you could give it a life outside of your own performance practice? I guess that there's two issues. Like the first one with in terms of just like unpredict the being like unpredictable or not, I feel it adds a richness because it's like it's constantly shifting. And so if you have a sound, if you've one sound that's very stable, it adds this un- instability, right? Things are like constantly moving, which I find very rich sonically. So, I don't know how Yeah, I mean, on one hand it's like I really wish that like my embouchure was hitting these certain, maybe kind of some sort of variation in between that, where like when I want it, what I, my dream is to have it when I want it to be unpredictable or unstable, it's unstable. And then when I want it to be stable, it's stable or doing what I want all the time. Yeah. But that's not always the case. So at this point, and I've been working on these techniques for a while, <laughs> and I'm really hoping that at some point, I mean, I, 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 there is some degree of that, but... It's like, and on the piccolo, it sounds different. So then I can, and also you can. Just so you're doing it on all, also all other types of. On the, I only have yeah. flute and piccolo. If I had a bass, I'd work on with the bass. But the piccolo actually sounds stronger and more like maybe because the um, somehow the sounds are more, like the overtones are less. I don't know. They're really hot. It's actually more present the technique with the piccolo than the flute. Was this more like an installation type? It wasn't. Thing, people were sitting or... there listening, and it's interesting because I had friends that heard me perform it before alone, and then heard me perform it in this situation. And it's like somehow this one made more sense. It was like really a, a good dialogue between two people who are trying to do something with sound that's very similar, but found a way to have an overlap that worked really well. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't an installation in the end. You know, it really was like something that you experienced from beginning to end, and there was like harmonic progression in the noise sense of harmonic progression. Um, but at the same time, my ideas of form is like how you experience a sonic object and how time plays a part of that experience. But at the same time, it's not about taking you, you know, to some sort of narrative. There's no, yeah, yeah. There's no point A to point B. Right. It's just kind of a bunch of things Layers. thrown in front yeah. of you 
And then you're choosing your compositional process is what you decide to emphasize in that yeah. sound. How much does your time at Berkeley and also your time at you're an ear cam, you know, I went through ear cam, yeah. yeah, you yeah. went you went through ear cam. I also lived um, in France for eight years, so before that, okay, I started so, composing in France. Really? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. When did you move to France? Was this before, or after? Yeah, Berkeley? before. I was 20 years old when I moved to France oh, on my own. Okay. Yeah. On your I, own, like on your, my own. I was a flute player before that. I did my undergrad as flute performance. And then I decided I wanted to be a composer at the very end of my studies, but I had no experience. I composed one piece. Um, so I decided to move to France to get experience. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. And I didn't speak French at the time. It was like, it was like, well, yeah. then nobody, nobody didn't have, you didn't have like concerned parents that were like, oh man, wow, what a 20 year old plan that is. Yeah, it was a totally twenty-year-old well, no, plan. No, but 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 seriously, the people <laughs> I came around back you. Back when I was twenty-nine. Yes, yeah, like, yeah, but the the but the people around you weren't like, wait a minute, that's such a that seems like a such a well, just kind of a, a fast. Like, I mean, it was all well one year out. at a time. You know, it wasn't like oh, you're going to move there for eight years, right? We didn't know that from the beginning. It was like you know, I have this contacts. I found a place um, that I stayed at the City Universitaire, so I had a cheap place to stay. When and I had a professor that gave a flute professor that had given me contacts to study harmony with someone, and so yeah, for the year, you know, it was like I was doing it, you know, and then I was babysitting to to make my way, um, and every year was my last year, and then I stayed in Paris for two years, and then I went to the conservatory in Lyon, and that's where I started composing really. Like in a program. So how long were you there before you? How long were you there just babysitting and studying harmony before you actually? Two years. Two years. And, and then I went to Lyon for five, and then I went to Berkeley, and then I did one year at Ircam while I was at Berkeley. So you decide you wanted to be a composer, and that, and then why? Why France? Yeah, it just kind of worked out. Like I was even studying. I had just started studying German at the time as my second language, so I didn't even speak French. And I went over, it was like a flute teacher had given me contacts. It was really, it was just like something that kind of like happened. Like I didn't, I was just trying really hard when I was as an undergrad to like figure out what's going on in new music in Europe. But I found it really, really hard to figure that out. You were a strictly new music flute player when you were. No, I was a classical and then became, and then I started playing Varese and like life changed. You know, you're like, wow, like who knew there's this world. Oh, yeah, I remember amazing. I was like, then I fell in love with like new yeah, music, you yeah, know? Yeah, and then you want to be like, I want to be. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Then I decided playing Verez wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah. I need to be Verez myself. Um, yeah, so then I moved to Paris and then I went to Lyon. And I guess once I entered the program, my family felt me more reassured, but they never quite understood what I was doing with my life. At this point, they've just given up to trying to understand what I'm doing with my life. And oh, I'm just God, like, okay, the... whatever. <laughs> well, you're still paying the rent. You seem to be okay. Yeah, exactly. As, <laughs> long, not, as long as you're, you're like, listen. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I'm Your brother not, has a good full-time job. I'm asks not, for more money. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm not dead. <laughs> I'm not, like, visibly on drugs, you know? Like, it's, it's not that bad. I'm not hitting you up for money. So exactly. it's, you know, it's like, yeah. it's going to work out. Yeah. Again, so like Paris just kind of randomly worked out? Paris randomly worked out, and then Lyon is where I started becoming a composer. Like you were there for eight, so, yeah, eight seven years? Yeah, seven and eight, yeah. Yeah. And uh, each year was your last. What does that mean? You're like, oh, I'm finally going to get out of here. And I know, every year I was like, out. I hate you guys. I'm going to leave. And then I was like, all right, I'm staying for one more year. 
Well, this was at the conser- <laughs> this was at the conservatory. Yeah, yeah. What was I mean? What was studying there like? It was just a regular. Kind um, of- it was really good. I really because I was really adamant about being good at harmony and theory when I because I felt like as a flute player I didn't approach it as I didn't really get it when I was studying it as a flute player during my undergrad. And I believed in, I mean, they have really good training for that stuff, I'll have to say. Like, they do it in a way that's really methodical, which makes sense, and it's very thorough, because it's also like a year-based program, you know? So it's like, you study a certain harmony for a year, and I don't know, and you have to like, you know, follow up with like, playing on the piano, and um, composing with it, and so that was really important for me, to take those classes. So I, in the conservatory, I was taking like, harmony, what do you call that, harmony on the piano, um, counterpoint. And then I started working with electronic music when I was there as part of the composition program. And that's when it changed, like everything changed for me. It's like how I listened about sound, how I thought about sound. It's just like, for me, it's like everything just fell into place of what I wanted to be doing. But you know, in France, it's this acousmatic tradition. Like it's really, they have a pedagogy based around like acousmatic listening and training and for me it was that was when things clicked for me do you think something that methodical and kind of set in his way of teaching creativity is sometimes not is sometimes (laughs) can work against like work against someone's natural inclination if you're so trained well then it's uh, like what is natural too is something it's like we're all coming from something in a way you know oh yeah yeah Yeah. um, you know of course but that you can you can say that certain programs have stricter type of funneling yeah. the students than than others for example i was complaining about the ude khan how there was ac- absolutely no funneling because like i said i was glad that i actually got my real education before i went there because oh. if i got there and i was just kind of like a, a blob of like nothing with no direction or right. self-assurance then an institution like that is not going to give that to me right so i had that before but at the same time, you can make the opposite thing where if people are so strict about how you learn something, then you're cutting off other avenues of creativity for the sake of being proficient. I mean, I understand that music is a vocation. Yeah. Like like roofing, there are certain ways that you like have like have to do something. Like you can't write something out of the range of an instrument. Or, right, right, you know, right. I'm yeah, not basic no, level, but and I agree that like um, I'm gonna just sorry because I have like eight thousand things that are coming up here while you're and talking. Sam's yeah, and Sam's, yeah. Because yeah. I guess there's several things there for me. It's like um, I think first of all, like people sometimes need different things at different times, and it's almost like if they can be real, which is hard to be self-aware to realize what you need and what you want, and to go over that. So like, okay, right now I need structure. Then there's times you don't need structure. Um, but I also think with France, it's like it is an issue because they have this set idea of what is good and what is right. And in the end, people can write really music that works the way it should. You know, like everything's very well done. That's exactly like, what I mean. But then it's so you're like, but then it's like, yeah, OK, but maybe sometimes it's better that it doesn't work the way it should. Like, why is it working the way it should? Maybe it shouldn't work that way. Like, and maybe it should do something more interesting and more like. Um, challenging. And I feel like, because, you know, I'm teaching next year in Strasbourg. I'm going to be the professor of composition there. I'm replacing Marc Andre for the year. Get the, whoa. <laughs> wow. First of all, no, wow, that was no, some like, serious <laughs> name dropping right there. Um, holy shit. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So um, now I'm in the different role where I'm going to be trying to like deal with France. It's, somehow me and France can't break up or something. <laughs> I don't know. We keep like coming back. But um, 
I really feel like one of the things I want to challenge the students when I'm there is to, first of all, like think about, you know, okay, things can be beautiful and you can do things in a really right way. But what happens when you're trying to do something different and what happens when you're pushing that or like getting outside of that framework? You know, the French are really good with like doing that one beet salad that works perfectly and they've done it for 300 years and it's like they cut it in a certain way with the right vinaigrette and it's yeah. good but there's other ways to cook beets this yeah. is what I tell them, you know <laughs> that are equally as valid and is good you know and you just have to like open your horizons of like beet salad possibility so but also critical what... thinking like I think the one thing that's really important what I want to try to bring to the plate is like to ask hard questions to everybody to themselves and how do you challenge each other in a good critical way And that's really how I want to approach teaching next year. Okay, so describe the French recipe for music to me. So with the cousmatic, I'll, I'll start with the cousmatic because it's really like you, there was, it was very systematic where you started with like looking at like analyzing different types of sound parameters. So it's like thinking about like attack versus decay is like one sound parameter or um, listening to different, or I have a whole category. I forget like all their different, it's different than the Lakaman system of categorizing sounds. It's based on Schaefer's. And then from there that you, when you, you have to record different objects based on those, each sound category and do little etudes with them, right? So like, and you bring them in. So like, let's say you decide to make, like, take a crackling bottle and you try to just do a one minute etude with a crackling bottle. And then you bring it to your professor and he critiques it. He's like, okay, well, it didn't quite develop here or it's kind of stuck here and and he really you know has this um, intense analysis of your your bottle crackling phrasing which you're all supposed to do with not any editing right just like just in the moment with the microphone and you in the plastic bottle um, and then from there then they start building on like okay now that you've like recorded that let's like think about how to have like polyphony and interaction between these different elements and like in building etudes based on that and then eventually you can write like a one minute piece Um, and then they start bringing in actual electronic sounds the second year. Okay, well, now let's look at, like, how to, you know, do synthesize sound. <laughs> But that's, like, after a year of, like, crinkling bottles and rocks and, and analyzing, like, sound parameters. Wow, yeah. that's, so, that's such an old-school way of yeah. learning. So incre like, this, yeah. this weird incremental kind of funneling. Mm. And you thought that was good, like... I kind of wanted it at the time. I wanted the structure somehow at that time. Because I didn't, I was confused. I didn't know what composing was. I didn't know how to put notes on a paper. I also didn't know how to connect myself to paper. I felt that took a while to feel like my own personality in a pen on paper or with sound. Like I think that takes a while to make that connection. Yeah. I'm so at, the structure ha helped. For that. I'm at the opposite end. I have. I'm like. I'm like. I need to get away from the paper. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is. Yeah. yeah. I started with the cosmetic, and then so I like. I like all of it actually. I like the paper. I like electronics. I like the flute. I find it's. I still think about sound and ideas and very, and it's like almost each of these elements is like bringing in a different perspective of that. So how are you going to teach these kids? Well, first of all, how did, how did you, how did you get this incredible <laughs> gig? Right. I mean, I'm not know, like, know, you know, know, I'm, I'm not saying that you don't deserve it, but I'm just yeah. saying that how did that come about? It really was. Um, so I worked um, with Mark Andre in Stuttgart at Schloss Solitude a few years ago, in 2009 in August. The summer? It was, it was the summer the course? the summer academy with Haya and Steve. Okay. Um, and that year Mark was the guest composer. And we've always had like a resonance between each other's ideas somehow. Like my lessons with him were really, really good. But most people didn't. I don't know. There's something with like 
he's very clear with things, which helps me clarify my own thoughts. And like, like the first lesson I had with him, he just had like four things or something. I don't know. He was very awkward with English at the time. And I felt bad making him speak in French. So we spoke in English. But those four things like really came back to me throughout the year. Somehow like they were just so spot on for what I needed to be thinking about with sound. Like, so working with him had a strong impact and, and we've just kind of, I've kept in contact with him um, from time to time, showing him my music and he knows I speak French. And so he's taking a year sabbatical next year. And he really, I mean, he also is really enthusiastic about the American system. I think he was really impressed with how we talk about ideas and how um, we have a different perspective, especially to, compared to the French system. I think he believes in the American and the German system. Of Wait, teaching. as far as like educate, as far as a teaching educa education. Yeah, yeah. So and he also, also has a personal. What, what, what was his beef though? Was it the same beef I was bring, bringing up or? Similar, yeah. I and mean, he just mm. thinks like France is very closed into like what you know. It's like France is good at being French and he's really excited that I'll be there to like bring a different perspective and I have a, a really diverse background but I also know the system too so I can engage them through their system oh, okay. but with my own perspective and yeah and he teaches both at apparently both at Strasbourg and Dresden so um, next year he's taking sabbatical from both of them which he probably needs I think he's writing his opera so oh, writing an <laughs> opera why would you write an opera I don't I would never want to could you ever imagine yourself like doing sitting down and doing something that massive and kind of like overblown? I never thought I would want to write an orchestra piece. After I wrote that large ensemble piece, I realized I have something to say with large mass of sound, which I really like. So I will I will not say that I cannot imagine at this point no, I have no desire to write an opera, but I'm not going to Say at this point, I'd, I have, I can imagine, yeah, I can't imagine it, but I'm not saying it won't happen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes we surprise ourselves. I also told friends I was going to leave every year. You know? And now you're back. <laughs> and now I'm going back. Like I left. Like, I keep leaving. <laughs> like Al Pacino and Godfather 3. That's exactly what it's like. <laughs> like Rocky or something. I'm yeah, making I another sequel. I don't know. <laughs> um. But that's great though. That's a you know, that's a great opportunity. You're done earning your PhD. Or... I got it in December. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is this one of those things where I had to defend your thesis and Um, we do our qualifying exams before we do the thesis. So that's where we have the intense examinations that happen before we hand before we start writing the thesis. Um and then once we finish our thesis, we meet with our advisor, we get approval of our project and of the final piece. Um, but I actually don't have to defend. I know some places do, but I didn't have to do that. I mean, how did you like your time at uh, Berkeley? Do you think it was a continuation of what you were doing in France? Because well, they uh, also have a big electronic, uh, what's called CMAT or something CIMAT, like that. But it's yeah, really CIMAT. different perspective. I mean, there. well, Berkeley has a lot of French connections in many ways, you know, because like um, David Wessel spent a lot of time at IRCAM. He was one of the founders and a lot of the faculty I mean, Franck was my advisor and he's, you know, very, very French. But when I got to Berkeley, first of all, I feel like Senmat is dealing with different issues with technology that the conservatory in Lyon was not. So that was, I learned a lot from Senmat. But also I think, like I said, like I think everyone needs different things at different times in their life. And I needed freedom at that point because I had had so much structure and Berkeley gave that to me and it gave me resources and it gave me freedom and I, it gave me performers to pay, play my music. And that was really what I needed at that time. Um, and I just like kind of took that freedom and explored 
and like kind of, all right, I had done that French thing and now I was like trying other things. You're actually kind of lucky because, I mean, I think the way it works best is that, I mean, this is the obvious thing, but first you have the structure and then after that you kind of are in a place where you can have more freedom to make hmm. risks and decisions. And then you're lucky in the sense that just by kind resources. of coincidence, you ended up in a place with the most structure and then you go to Berkeley. Like this infamously. Well, I guess that, I mean, that's, I'm not saying that that school actually has a, you know, a, a really great reputation, but yeah. Like, and there is, and I think there, if you as want far as, as far as places, be. like <laughs> kind of like Almost structuralist like, liberal places, yeah. you think Almost of Berkeley. Just like in theory somehow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the hippies versus the French. Um, yeah, and it's somehow what I yeah needed too. It's like I wanted, I knew what I wanted, I knew what I needed, and I went to get that, you know. And that's kind of how I've always, for whatever right or wrong, however it is, like that's sort of how I function. I think as a human, where it's like I know what my work needs, and then I go and make that opportunity happen, even if it doesn't come to me. That type of self analysis is hard, though. Like, I mean, I don't mean like hard, like oh, this is painful know. for me to right. analyze myself. It's like sometimes you just don't know. You're like, why am I failing at this? Why do I, what do I need to stop failing at this? Yeah. No, you, and it is hard to know. Yeah, how do you, uh, um, and I'm tenacious too. So sometimes that can be a backfire on you because yeah. you're like, I am going to work at this really hard until it doesn't work. You know, you're like, but it's still not working. <laughs> I agree. Perspective on yourself and what you need can be really hard. But then when you, I guess it's almost like trying different things. And then when you find the one that does work somehow, you like, you stick to it. What made you, what made you realize like what you needed at a certain point? Can you like give me a moment in time where you're like, this isn't working. I need something else. Now I need to go to, you know, Berkeley or whatever. Mm. It doesn't have nece necessarily right. have to be that well, example. I mean, even like, I mean, just like leaving Philadelphia for France, it was like, I knew I needed um, experience. First of all, I had no experience as a composer. Right. And I knew that I couldn't enter some master's program which is going to be like two years, like that just didn't, I was like, how I can't, I haven't written and I've written one piece of music. How can I like start a master's program in something? I mean, yeah. how could you even get in? I mean, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I knew that I needed experience. And at that time I was very keen on like this idea of having a traditional background of like understanding theory and really like being able to do counterpoint and making sense of it all. Yeah. And like a real intense understanding, not like, okay, I can do this to get a good grade, but like really understanding it. Do you feel you like know? you were romanticizing what a composer was at that time or something? Because I remember also when I thought You felt that, like you really needed and it. Yeah. And yeah. it was also right when I didn't really know what composing was. I had barely been a composer. Yeah. And then there was a point in the conservatory in Lyon where you realized you're like, you know what? I don't need this anymore. Because it's like, I don't go home and listen to this music. I'm going home and listening to weird electronic music. Like I leave this classroom and I like, have like weird crinkling crunching sounds going on like yeah. i'm like actually this has no almost parallel to what i'm doing for me and like you know and the people that are going off and like playing baroque music and singing that like it's easier for them to compose music that's for me it was like i'm never gonna my teacher never approved like i'd write four plus five phrases all the time you know or like my melodies were never quite melodic enough and i was like yeah i know i don't <laughs> I, don't, I don't do melodies like yeah. come on like that's not this isn't my thing it's gonna, gonna be awkward yeah. you know so you're like i just don't have then you realize it's like yeah it's almost well it's more like at some point you also realize like this isn't helping anymore i can stop this and i stop the harmony and then there was just a choice it's like either i go back to the u.s or i stay in france 
either go to the Superior Conservatory in France or I go to the U.S. And I just felt like since I wasn't French, going to the Superior Conservatory seemed like I'd always have less opportunities than French people somehow. I, I think just... there's a truth to that. I Actually, I think, and I was talking to this with another Spanish composer that I think something that Berlin is really good at mm. is they don't prefer Germans. German composers. Yeah. I mean, it's just like for them, it's, it doesn't, it's egal. It doesn't, you right. know, it doesn't matter. It's like, what do you want it? What do you want it? What do you want it? They're not trying to take care of your own. So I feel like I have just as many opportunities as like someone here living yeah. in Berlin who's German. Yeah. So anyway, you don't, yeah. you couldn't feel like I you were going to have that, that in France. I mean, who knows? You know, you can always make that happen. I'm sure there's people that do make that happen. I felt like it wasn't right. And so I went, I applied to schools of the US, but at the same time, I was like, well, I'm not going to go into debt to go back to the U.S. because oh, finances are, because I had a nice situation in Lyon. You know, I was working part time. I had a nice life. You know, you can live off a small budget in France and have a really nice quality of life. So I was really hesitant to go back to the U.S., but I got into programs where I didn't have to pay. They paid me. And um, so then I did decide to go back to the U.S. And, and I'm glad I did. I got a lot out of, of going back. But then, you know, then it's like sometimes it's, time to move on and certain then with Berkeley too at the end I just knew it was time to move on afterwards can can you give me an example of something that I mean compositionally speaking in your music that made you realize that that kind of self-analytical now I need this now I need this now I need to study this it's like something that wasn't working out you know in your work like in your output that made you think that I okay now I have to come I kind of like get experience doing this so my music improves like, I remember clearly at Berkeley feeling like I, hesitant to say this on the record, yes, come on. but I wasn't getting the mentorship that I needed. I felt like I wasn't getting challenged enough about what I was trying to do. Like, I was trying to do something, and I felt like I was not really finding that clarity of what I'm trying to do with my music about sound, and I wasn't getting... It's like the people I was working with couldn't get into what I was doing to help me do it better. And I was very frustrated because I, I did feel stuck at some point at Berkeley, you know, and I felt like, I don't know, I was looking for mentorship that would that would help me figure stuff out and really, I guess, maybe have an understanding of what it is I was trying to do. And I have to say, when I went to when I went to Schloss Solitude, I felt like both Mark and, and Hi and Steven and all the different people that are around brought that clarity somehow to me or started the path on clarity, shall we say. So what did they say? I mean, what did they say to you? Well, I mean, for, for me, first of all, it was just like Mark, uh, you know, he's very influenced by Lachemann's, um ideas about sound morphology and just on really understanding what that meant helped a lot to me of thinking about sound because I am about sound. Like I am still coming from this acousmatic tradition of like sound as opposed to concepts. Um, and then realizing that's, that is what I'm about. I love sound. Like, I could listen to crackling styrofoam for like three days and I'd be super happy. And not that everyone's work has to do that, but for me, that's really important. So then thinking about like, well, what does that mean? You know, what does this mean that I'm having like crackling styrofoam and and then building my own ideas off of that. And then there's things that also just um, influence you. I think there's like sometimes you'll be exposed to something at times in your life and then you just like latch onto it because you really dig into it deeper because you... You're like, oh, I don't know. It's giving you some kind of like, maybe not necessarily something that's missing from your work, but it's something that resonates with you somehow. And I think that like that is another point of like figuring, like if you're trying, if you're stuck and you're trying to figure out what's not working or finding solutions to not what's working, 
yeah, perspective is always hard. And these, 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 I think these things are also kind of ad hoc, you know? Yeah. It's not like I need someone that's going to tell me how to do this, but it's like something's not working. Let me try get experiences of different things and see what helps. And then you can take from that what you want and you can apply to it in your, for your own ideas in the way you want. But it brought a certain clarity of thinking about what I was doing, which was really useful. But like recently for me, it's like Tarkovsky. I'm like really influenced by Tarkovsky. And he's, you know, there's something about his work that just like really resonates with me right now. Um, so I think it's like also you find something and suddenly you like latch onto it because it has some kind of resonance for you. You know, it's so musical and rhythmical, his like his film. So so maybe talk a little bit about the large. I mean, we brought it up earlier in the thing, but mm-hmm. I want to play the recording of that or at least a, d- depending on how long this is, at least a portion of it, at okay. least a big chunk of it. Yeah. So start describing it to me <laughs> actually i mean i'm gonna and i'd like to put the pdf because i think the description you have just basically the program note yeah it, you know it's very clear and it's articulating a complex idea but it's not lofty to the point where i get mad mm. <laughs> and like yeah the you know like an arrogant program note or anything yeah. it's not that so maybe I don't know, just describe what you're going for in a piece like this. Yeah, I mean, for me in that piece, I was really thinking architecturally somehow. Like for me, it was about trying to build these sonic structures that people could feel themselves inside of, like when you're inside of a building. And the thing with sound is, I mean, you do have this visceral sensation. And that's something that just doesn't come across in a two-channel stereo version of this piece which is so such a shame you know there is something lost like when you're in that concert hall like you just felt so inside of something massive because i had um because the spatialization was so important so okay so with that piece yeah i was thinking architecturally which i think was the first time i tried to create form based on architecture and what does that mean like what does it mean to build a piece that isn't about some because I think before I'd been thinking about unfolding of time and making some kind of linear narrative but that's not what I was going for but at the same time if you walk inside of some impressive building like there is a structure there you know and the structure is part of feeling that that building somehow but then I am dealing with time so it's like I have to correlate space through time Um, so I thought a lot about different ways that you can correlate space and time and and how much space you give the listener to experience something um, and how motion plays a part of my clarity of a space or being inside of a space. And I was also thinking a lot about materials and really about building a structure with different types of materials. Like you don't proper, mean like, like metal. Music, okay. Yeah. Like I mean, physical like me- materials. Yeah, like yeah. metal, glass, ceramic. Like that was a big part of the piece. Um, and it's like, okay, if I'm building this room and it's a structural and it's like base, but it's made out of metal, like, you know, and how am I going to feel inside of metal? How does, do strings correlate the scraping of metal? Like what sounds can they do? And, and what sounds can the winds do to correlate that? And then perspective and depth. And I, it was, and I spent a whole year just making all of these sketches of like what things mean meant and just trying different perspectives so the spatialization of that project is really important and i also wanted the rooms not to be regular like i thought of this building that i'm creating is having you know different dimensions and those dimensions could be built um this is my own personality trait like i don't like things to be very balanced i like i like irregularity and things so i have like three different groups on the stage Some of them have overlap instrumentally, some of them don't, you know, one's more string based, one's more just like a sort of asymmetrical, shall we say, groupings. And then I have percussionists on the far end, plus there was an ensemble up in this loft. Um, And that allowed me just to kind of compose irregular shapes in this 
structure that I was trying to create. What else to say about that piece? Um, yeah, it was something that took a lot of time to think through what I like to make those correlations of space and how time factors and, you know, how that relationship between space and time affects me um, and how that affects the structure of the piece as people experience it. Yeah. And there's still a real intensity to that piece that I, I also don't know if it comes across in the recording but you feel, and the, I guess another element when I've talked about with the flute part earlier, when I was talking about my flute playing and these sort of unstable elements, and that was something that was really important to me. It's like building context where instability has a richness to it. And I was, I'm really interested in how something that's fragile can have a validity and bring a richness to the discourse and layers of instability can add this like sonic um, movement and motion.
Who played this? Who? Um, so it was a combination of people. It was basically Berkeley. Um, it was my Berkeley put together that ensemble, but it was half professional and half students. Oh wow! wow. Yeah, and wow. I worked really, and I worked really closely with all the musicians, and they were really responsive and open. Um, they didn't and... get mad because that's my question. You're talking about oh, this is unstable. This is unstable, and then a lot of more traditional performers are like. This is unstable. You don't know what you're doing. Right. Well, yeah. I had to really talk to them and be like, look, it's purposely unstable here. And I want you to feel that instability. And here it's purposely stable, you know, and and trying to explain how. And it also depends. Like, yeah, you have to really. I like the challenge of trying to communicate with different people. I think it, and everyone's going to respond differently. Um, you know, the percussionists get into everything really quickly and they're like, all right, let's just like scrape and bang. Like, that's fine. And, you know, the strings are much more like about being super precise. And you're like, well, <laughs> oh, they're the worst. They're the worst. <laughs> and the students were more open minded, of course, in general. Um, they were like, okay, you want me to do this? And, but in general, I had good contact with everybody. Um, and yeah, I have to say that. I was really happy working with all of the performers and it helped. I remember, I think the flute player, she, the, the one that was professional was a little bit more resistant. But when I came in with my flute and showed her the techniques. Oh yeah. You got to throw once you, once you throw <laughs> down. It's like, okay. Then it's like, <laughs> she's yeah, like, she's yeah. like, yeah, for years I've been just hiding how to, I don't know how to do whistle tone. She's like, but you now can, she's like, oh no, I can't hide for you. I was like, no, you can't hide. Like she I, couldn't, she, she, she doesn't know do how whistle. to do whistle tones. And like she, and she was hiding the fact she didn't know how to do whistle tones. I taught her how to do whistle tones it's not a relatively easy uh i don't know technique. she's been hiding it yeah. i mean she's a great wow. she went to juilliard she's a great flute player but she just like you know very classically trained so i was like why well, need you to make these other weird sounds so, well i mean it's good that you could demonstrate because if you can't demonstrate and all you can do is like describe and say no that's yeah, wrong no that's wrong then they I get mean, frustrated yeah. and they're like you don't know what you're doing because i brought in videos videos help of other of people i've worked with and then I'll like show them the video on my eye. Like I remember I'd walk around with this, like I'd taken videos of a violinist showing like the different like crackling techniques. And so when they were like, I don't know what to do, I'd be like, just, you know, I <laughs> would just take out the phone and show them like, let's watch the video of this violinist that's, doing it. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> such a like, good idea. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's such a good idea. Do you think that like, in a way I always think that that's part of the notation nowadays. It's like literally it is. video examples yeah. so you can physically like, yeah. show it. it. Just, you write pages, you can write pages and pages of trying to explain a technique and you just show the video and you're like, oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, 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 no. Like put your mouth like a little bit, like it's like almost like an underbite or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. that makes more, yeah, it makes more yeah. sense. But to describe it takes pages and pages yeah. and pages. But and just all it because a sound file yeah. or like yeah, a little video. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, but for some reason we have to, we feel like we have the obligation just to, all we can do is put it down on paper. And if you don't have the ability to put it down on paper, then you you need to work as a composer to learn how to do that instead yeah. of just... Well, it's this weird correlation or it's this weird thing that we value paper as like somehow that's a valid, it's like a valuable thing for us. Um, and it's just like one way to communicate. There's many ways to communicate and we have to accept or like use technology to the richness that it can offer us. You know, we don't just have paper anymore. Yeah, but we've fetishized the document composers. That's what I mean about like, I feel like I need to get away from paper. Mm. I think definitely when I was at least getting my education, it was more of a fetish of how beautiful and complex a document can I make? Yeah. And it, it was almost going, starting to go towards visual art. And then I don't know, just one day I realized that it was like, I would finish a document and right. then I was like, I'm done. Right. I'm like, here it is. This, this is the thing that I made. Hmm. And the truth is the thing that I made 
is the sound waves flying through the air. Right. And that hadn't happened yet. And all of a sudden, like, you're getting mad because there's this gap between what's actually happening and what and your vision of the document is. Yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, like, sometimes you got to Yeah. I mean, I think what's document. interesting, what I, lo- I like is how there's different ways of communicating something and there's different ways of, like, doing our ideas. I mean, I guess there's two different things. There's different ways of communicating. There's different ways of bringing to life our ideas, you know. And it's like either we can, like, go through paper to communicate to, to, to certain instrumentalists who will respond to the paper, you know. Some people respond to paper. Because that's really also well. what they're used to. What they're the, trained to, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, like, one way to communicate something. But then you can also, like, communicate with a sound file or you can communicate by playing yourself or exploring your ideas through other mediums. And I think that's just as rich and as valid as anything, you know. But you also have to ask yourself just as many challenging questions to each of those. Like, you know, do you mean different questions in actually like, is this video I'm showing to them? Oh no, I was I was thinking more like, okay, if I'm improvising, like how do I make sure that what I'm doing as an improviser has much depth as I do to a composition, you know, and how do I make sure that like the questions I'm asking myself from this angle, because I also find it's it's this idea of perspective and like how do you have much perspective do you have on yourself and your ideas? And like when you're performing something, it's very different. Pers- the perspective is very different than when you're a composer and you're outside of the situation. And like time is totally different when you're perf- when you're like writing a composition in your home. Like time is your muse. I can slow it down. I can speed it up. I can go away from it. I can come back. But when you're performing, it's like, yeah, right there. You know, yeah. it's really different. It's like you you have to really did de- de- like even when you're like practicing at home to get ready for an improvisation or even a real time composition. It's like then when you're performing it, time is a different. You have a different relationship to time. Oh, yeah, it's, it's like no longer your muse. Tense. It's yeah. like yeah, <laughs> I don't know. So I don't know. So I think all of these things can be really enriching and can complement each other or have discourse with each other but making sure that you still somehow ask yourself just as many challenging questions for each of those domains I guess is what for me I'm trying to figure out like how do I make sure like these flute compositions are as deep for lack of a better word than like my paper composition yeah do you can do you concern yourself with accuracy like the idea of like someone hypothetically picking this up in China for Mm. who's never heard of you before and now they have to perform the document that you created are you concerned with that being able to be replicated well i I feel like like without a youtube video or without an iphone video is that an important thing for you or is that you know an older way of you know thinking first of all i think that nowadays how much do we ever just look at the paper document you know like when even when I've had to play Sharino, like I oh you know you listen to the recording beforehand because there's questions that come up when you're like, his notation as like straightforward as it seems isn't yeah. it straightforward because you can have so many variations and then like it's almost like that recording that was made first you're like oh okay that becomes more of the document documentation but also I really aim for communication with my paper so meaning that like precision i it's like when i want it to be precise then i write it a certain way and when i want it to have certain elements that are precise and certain elements that aren't precise and i write it in a different way but i'm interested in how my notated compositions have a certain other type of communication to a performer like i am interested in in communication and i think in the end it's like yeah will the paper will the paper be enough i i write it for the paper to be enough but from my experience it's like a cd of the sound files of like 
having an idea of what the sound I want is like just saves so much paper. Also, also like a lot of the text. time, I bet you this is especially true for someone like you who's you're just like, oh, it's the sound of something, it's the sound of something. Yeah. You're actually probably taking a sound example or you have the piece of styrofoam in front of you. Right. And you're working with that as you're com- as you're composing, as you're writing something down. So it's almost important for that person to experience the material that way too before they look at the document. I mean, since it is about the sound, it's like the document's a communication of what I want, but it is about the sound in the end. So a sound file is a lot more efficient way of communicating that. You know, those things come up all the time now. I don't know how specific to get. And the thing is, the more specific I get, the more complicated the score gets. And then yeah. the more professional it looks almost or something. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the the... You know, the more people can say, oh, no, he knows what he's doing because it's because he put in all this detailed information about what it's supposed to be. Mm. But at the same at the same time, I think it becomes counter intuitive for a while. It's like, just keep a simple document and go there and like guide them. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's also like. First of all, like our notation system isn't set up for what most of us are dealing with in terms of sound anymore. You no, know? I mean like five lines and dots. And, it's meant like for ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean it's meant for like pitch and rhythm, and like you know that's become such a a lesser hierarchical element in most people's music these days. So it's like okay, we're still trying to deal with these, trying to build off of an old notational system, but. I mean, like, come on, it's like, that's not what anyone's dealing with anymore, like practically. You know, I was, I was talking to a, a friend actually on one of these interviews and it's like, it's funny that we have metronomes and then we have tuners hmm. and it was like, we need like a Sulpont meter or something like that. And it's like, no, 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 it's not Sulpont enough. <laughs> like a tambour meter. Yeah, yeah, a tambour meter. It's like, oh no, no, it's not, it's not like raspy enough or it's not Sulpont yeah, enough. And then, the, and then the player is like, no, 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 this is my... Sulpont, this is my interpretation of Sulpont, and you just like whip out the meter, and it's like, no, you're at yeah, or yeah, you're just like a little bit past. Someone like, should design or, that. That's a really good yeah, idea. Yeah, <laughs> or just or, or just other ways of like qualifying these elements that right. people aren't used to measuring. Yeah. So yeah. whatever, it's like it's like some things like, no, this is my B flat. This yeah. Is, yeah, and you're like, no, that's actually you know that's actually a B natural, and then you can like prove or disprove that based on a meter that measures it rather than someone saying oh no no this is just like my interpretation of this note yeah. and it's because the it's because our notation system is so strict on those parameters yeah but for me like the, the i am still interested in how what i decide to write communicates something and usually it communicates like i'm interested in how um for example if you which element you decide to be precise for example even like formally in a piece like maybe you can focus on one portion of the same sound in one part of the piece and like one portion of the same sound in a different part of the piece. Let me think of like a good example. Well, or this like, is, the, you, this you is know, what like you talked about in the program note yeah, for the orchestra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so like when is something free and when is it not free? I think that's a really interesting way of, for that's how I kind of explore notation at this point. Um, it's like, how does that make that relationship with the sound? And, but it is about communication. And like, if I try to keep it simple, like I'm also communicating something. Like I do want a certain amount of like, yeah, you're communicating something different, you know? Um, but also with any communication, this is the thing, communication is like, every, it also depends on who's listening, you know, and who's responding and how the performer is responding. Just like in any kind of dialogue, you know, like some people respond to like diplomatic communication and some people respond to like 
aggressive communication. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like you can like be polite all you want. So some people you yell at them and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, You're like, oh, <laughs> I don't know. So give me an example of people. Like it's just, you said it depends on who you're communicating with. Yeah. Do, do you feel like there are certain types of people that are more responsive and accepting to what you do? Um, I think you find people that just in one hand have uh, an affinity to what you do. Like maybe they just, as in any kind of communication with humans, like some people you just resonate with and you actually have to say less and they understand you somehow. And some people you have to really find a way to like communicate with them uh, or to come to their world or re-explain things in a different way. Cause like um, often we have to like explain thing in one way they don't understand, but if you like find the right way of saying it, then they can hear you. That's actually what I really liked about the program note hmm. that you were let, that you wrote. I'm sorry to harp on a that's stupid okay. fucking program note, but it's like, <laughs> I'm but glad that's you're what doing I mean. it. Cause I always but, feel like I'm bad at writing. So but, but that's, <laughs> but, but that's what I mean. That's what I liked about it, is that you weren't, you weren't pandering to people who already know what you do mm. by elaborating on it and framing it in an extra beautiful way. Mm. It's really for people who are walking in and don't know what you're about, or they're not so privy to the history of what you yeah. do. Yeah. And all of a sudden like that program note is like, listen, this is, this is what it's about. This is how I want you to listen to it. There's going to be emphasis on mm. different elements of a certain sound that you're going to hear. And then something, it's something interesting for them to pay attention to. Yeah. Do you feel like when you're writing music, you're thinking about who, who are you thinking about when you're uh, writing um, music? I have to say, I'm only thinking about the sound. I'm happy to try and explain to people what I'm doing and help them guide them into my world. But like, for example, that large ensemble piece, I was really surprised. Everyone that was at that performance, people who usually come up to me and are like, you know, oh, that was really interesting. Yeah, which, <laughs> like, which, 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 if people don't know, that means I didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or like, oh, you can feel like they didn't really get it or they don't know what to say. Like everyone came up and I could really feel the sincerity of how much they really were inside of that piece. People that were non-musicians or whatever. And, but for me at this point and, you know, things change, but I, I guess right now I'm just focusing on my contact with the sound and my ideas and trying to realize them. And then, I can, I'm happy to help people try to get into that sound world or understand it in a certain way after. I mean, there's certain things to think about. Like, okay, when you're, when you're, when you're hearing something in a certain way, there's going to be people that don't hear it, but everybody's so different. It's almost like, how can you make everyone understand? Everyone's going to, everyone has their own experience of time. Um, everyone has their own rhythm. Everyone's coming to that room with a different energy. Of, of course, you can't like, make everybody. Yeah. Um, like that's impossible it's impossible to make anybody understand yeah. and you everyone's know, gonna everything. have such a different yeah. experience yeah. I mean, everyone's people, memory is different everyone's I mean, gonna remember a different part people yeah. interpret children's books differently yeah. so yeah. let yeah. alone something this as complicated as you know what you're doing but i think there's still a way like could you ever see yourself at any point changing the way you compose like you said part of the guidance is the program note or explaining to people and like and that's part of the, how you get people into your relationship with the sound. Mm. But would you ever change your relationship with the sound knowing that somebody coming in is going to understand what you're doing more because of the way it's presented? Do you think that's possible? I don't know. I think that's a compromise you're making with your own sensitivities. But I don't always think that 
that is inherently a negative thing. And it sounds like I'm talking about, oh, you should, I I feel like I'm making a case for pandering right now, but I swear to God, I'm not. I'm going to bring up two things for me that I think um, kind of influence the way I I approach my own music. Um, And one is, like, I remember um, really trying to understand Picasso for a long time. Like, I'd go to the art museum and I'd look at his paintings and I would, like, intellectualize it. And I was like, okay, like, here is what he's doing. And I would stare at these paintings and I remember not really getting it. And to, to define what is getting something, I think, is also really hard to pinpoint. But there was a moment when I did get it. And it just kind of happened after, like, all these times being in the art museum and like staring at Picasso paintings and be like, okay, there's this thing here and that. And, and there was one point where I remember just standing there and I was like, and I just saw it. I saw it differently. I saw it clearly. I saw what he was trying to do and I felt it. And suddenly like everything changed in terms of like, even how I looked at modern art. Like I just got so much more, like I could see the movement. I could see the motion. I could see the perspective of what he was trying to do. Um, and so before, when I wasn't getting it, like, is there something that people could do for me to get it? I don't know. Um, and I don't think Picasso should be changing his vision for me to be able to get it. But then when you get it, you get it. And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm glad he's not changing his vision. Like, I'm glad I got it in this, you know. It also feels good to do the work and get it because you worked it. Yeah. Trying to get and then you're it, like, and, like, and then you get it and you're like, oh, and then you feel how beautiful it is, you know, like, and for me, that's the thing with Tarkovsky. you know, he talks about people locking it because his movies are really slow, like really slow. And he talks about people needing to lock into his rhythm. And he's like, if you can't lock into my rhythm, you're not going to get my movies. And he's right. If you can't lock into his rhythm, if you wanted the movie to be fast, you're not going to get it, you know? And But if you lock into his rhythm, like, you get it. And, you know, or like, you know, how many people are going to get Tarkovsky films? But if you come down to his rhythm, it's just amazing. And should he... And for me, as someone that does lock into his rhythm and sees his beautiful world, like, I don't want him to change his... Like, the moment that... There are moments when you see him, like, early on trying to do stuff that's not working, and you're like, oh, this isn't working. Like, he's being... He's trying to be fast, like, there's some I feel like er, in his earlier films you can feel like him like not knowing his own rhythm quite yet and then there's a moment when like when he does figure out who he is as a director and what his rhythm is and being really connected to like film and and motion and you feel that connection and then you're so inside of it you know and 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 then the other films when there's you're less inside of it because he's not locked into it yet and so I don't know for me it's like I'm really glad that I can lock into his rhythm, but everyone's not going to lock into it. And that's okay too. Like, I'm glad that, you know, we sh- we're not going to be able to connect to everybody. We're all different human beings. And it's the diversity, I think, that's important somehow. And You're right. You're conv- you convinced me that. I think the problem is, is that I just think about the horrible kind of like public relation of new music, oh. like the stereotypes and how everything is so, this concept of just like a wall being there, you know? Yeah for other people and then i think of what could we do more within the actual thing that we make until people come towards it yeah it's like touching people and how can you touch people and i think that like everybody is going to be touched by something in a different way and find certain things more powerful than not and what's interesting is that you have a variety of artists that are doing things so you can find the person that touches you or the music that touches you for me it's somehow more connected to spirituality and people's spirit than and touching them than like trying to promote things better you know it's not but um, it's not about it's not i'm I'm not talking about promotion at all i'm not talking Mm -hmm. about i wrote this piece and in order for us to help break down this kind of wall and bad public relations of 
what new music is. We're going to make a bunch of trendy posters and like stick them up all around Berlin so people go. Right. I'm saying that the actual thing itself that you made isn't good at communicating. Well. Oh, okay. First of all, I'm saying you, not like right, I'm right, not pointing right, yeah, to you. Yeah. The actual, the actual thing that someone makes is not communicating that idea because they're so obsessed with their personal relationship with the thing that they're not taking into account. They're actually making it for somebody who might not know that you're dealing with the history of electronic music or may not even know what the history of electronic music is. So when they're coming into the concert, you're making all these references that mean have lots of meaning to you but no meaning to the but i would say that's something that like I, now i'm just gonna keep bringing up sarcasi because i'm obsessed but it's um like he mentions like when you're talking when you're dealing with metaphor or symbolism where it's like okay for him like spilled milk there's always spilled milk all over his films and it means something because in his childhood apparently like there's and for me i don't have any emotional connection towards spilled milk like i really am like okay there's the milk being spilled but for him it's something that's very important but i think that's the thing with like you can have all these references which no one not everyone's gonna get there's different layers and there's different ways that people are going to connect to something or touch some be touched by something and you don't know every person is so different like Everyone, some people are going to get that milk. Some people are going to feel milk. Some people are going to feel rain. Some people are going to not feel anything and just be like, this is too slow. I need to go like something faster, you know? Yeah, but also I'm assuming again, I don't know. I haven't, you know, I haven't seen this movie, but I'm assuming that the movie isn't about no, spilled milk. It's just referencing. The so milk. it's it's one but thing to reference it. And then it's yeah. one thing to put it about. A, it. Yeah. Yeah. P- put a piece together that's trying to contradicts some history that somebody's not aware of or trying to confirm some history that somebody's not aware of right then you're too much into your own world and you're too much into like your intellectual problems you with whatever you're reading, trying to solve maybe you might not be reaching the poetry at that point either you know it's like i i still believe that somehow music can be you know it's not just about like this connection but it's about making something that has all those connections underneath it or embedded in it but it's become something more than just that you know and it's become, um, it's moved beyond all these things I'm trying to do. That's true. I think maybe I'm just describing bad composition. And yeah. then I'm saying, why well, is composition like, so stuff, bad? Yeah. We're like, well, the bad <laughs> ones are bad. stuff we're trying to do that we fail at, yeah, you know? And yeah. it's like, and even like Tarkovsky's early films, I feel, don't reach the, the poetic point that he gets later on, you know? And it's and so, yeah, maybe it's just like this point where it hasn't, it's still trying to move past the ideas and become something else. I think it does have to become more than just like, that one connection or that reference or you know it has to have it can have all those layers in it but it's like when it really touches you it becomes something more the problem is that it's it's a spectrum and every time i bring it up yeah i feel like i'm always and i don't mean to be doing this and i definitely don't believe in this but i feel like i'm always kind of hinting towards some type of capitalism market forces judging the value of something yeah which i kind of think there is that element of art we have to be really careful about no i mean it is there it's around you know and capitalism is such a force and such a power that like we are so used to judging things based on its capitalistic value you know yeah that's what i mean And and it's not like believe me there are definitely tons of things about that that i like i i hate that i'm i always hint towards it Hmm. when i challenge somebody on something yeah because I'm not that I'm not that way at all either. But it's I don't know. I feel like it's it's always an argument that I feel like I have to make yeah. for some reason. I think it's yeah. part of the bad PR. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's I could also be completely wrong. There's one other thing I wanted to talk to you about. You were an ear cam person. Mm. Mm-hmm. 
So um, I went to ear cam. We don't have to call me an ear cam person. Okay. But <laughs> a bit much. But uh, I'm always fascinated with that place because huh. I've never been there. So it's like a myth. What, well, what was it like there? Well, what did you learn we, there? What before did you we go into there? my experiences, can I ask what is the myth for you about it? What do you? What are your preconceived notions about? Well, ear I cam, think or? you know. I think when you were talking about how education works in France earlier on in this interview and the type of what it's good for and what it's bad for. Hmm. I feel like that type of mentality is distilled in EarCam. Hmm. Okay, so this is before basically Aaron proved me wrong. So I did an interview okay, with him. So Aaron and I had really different experiences at EarCam. Okay. So. <laughs> but he but what I'm saying is I had this I had this yeah. mythological kind of conception and then he like I did an interview with him and he we talked about a piece that I had no idea was kind of had any type of ear cam influence in it okay. and then he proved me wrong but the but the the original beef that i have that i would just want to say that i kind of realize that isn't so much isn't so true anymore is that people go into ear cam and they're taught uh they're taught a methodology in such a strict kind of way of putting things together and how equipment is used that it kind of all funnels them towards the same aesthetic preference and the result is a lot of people go into ear cam kind of learning how to want to they how to execute an idea that they have and it's a very kind of homogenous style that comes out of that uh institution now again i like i i made the same complaint to aaron but he i mean he basically kind of said oh there's different ways you can use it i like to think of these tools like toys like something for me to screw around with and then there are probably also a bunch of pieces that use open music and all this other ear cam software that in different ways and you know in in, in different ways and you wouldn't even know right. that uh these things are at play and it was the same for the piece that he showed me i had no mm. I, I had no idea so i kind of like conceded that my mm. conception was wrong but I'm still kind of curious to have, like, I still know that there's kind of a very strict methodology that's taught there to like of how to use the software. And I'm curious to know what people's experiences were like when they were there. Hmm. Um, so it's been a few years since I've been there. So I'm a lot more diplomatic about my experience. If you had asked me immediately afterwards, I would be saying something different. Um, it's almost like, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, cause there's so many things that you're bringing up. It's like, cause earcom is, it, there is the, I, the element, the artistic element, but there's also the institute element, you know, and the power element. So I'm not even sure which one to address first, you know, just in the way that like France likes music to work, you know, it likes it to be a certain thing and it likes it to do and go a certain way. Like that's the music that most people in France respond to, you know, so they kind of value that. Um, and they don't like things being necessarily outside of a box, just like they don't like their tomatoes being cut in a certain way. They, you know, it's like they don't necessarily want their music to do something different. Um, but I, when I was there, I never felt so unfree in my whole life. I felt suffocated. Um, I think some people can go in there and make it work for them. And I know lots of Aaron being one of them where they find freedom in that institute. Um, I was not one of those people. I felt suffocated. I felt... Um, like I was really supposed to be doing something in a certain way and I couldn't find freedom for myself in that space. There's also just something about it being an institution where power becomes an issue and ego becomes an issue and all the things that I really hate about art 
in the art world, you know, like I, like I said, I really think art should be about trying to touch people and not about ego and power. And like, and somehow it's all like embodied in this institution. But then when you go outside of the institution and you hang out in Berlin, you realize the same issues are still there. It's just hidden, you know, like people are still having ego trips. People are still bringing it to the plate. It's just people at the end. It's just people. It's just people, people like in the people. end. And you, yeah. yeah. And it's like, and where you think you should, it's just like somehow with IRCOM, you see it. You know, like you see the structure, you see the hierarchy, academia, you see the hierarchy and in Berlin, it's there. You just don't see it, you know, and people, and it's more fluid because of that. And you don't have to play the game as much. Um, because you don't see it or because you do see it. Cause you, when, when you don't see it, I think it's like, it's because it's also something that people are creating and you don't see it. You can also make it like, it's not. If you know, if you're the artistic director of IRCOM, you're always going to be the artistic director. If you're someone that like has a certain reputation, I don't know, there, there is still a bit more fluidity when, when it's not set like an institution with power, you know, where like, um, with kind of power games and where it's like a fine line of who's in power in a way. Um, but I always have a, that's, that's my issue with power. Like I feel, I sense people playing power games and I walk away. I'm like, I'm not playing your game. And I feel like it's not just should be about supporting people. It should be about like making the world a better place. It shouldn't be about making your ego taking over the world. Like I really um, have really strong aversion to that. And it's something that I've been feel like you constantly confront in the art world because there is, it's, and I think as an artist, it's actually hard to balance because it is about your idea and your vision. But then it's like, you know, you, this is humanity like if you really want to be touching people like i'm sorry you just need to be a good person like i just believe in that yeah you know? and it's, it's also um i just believe you're going to touch more people by being a good person than by making good art like most people aren't going to get your art that much and i think i do believe in trying to make the world a better place you know and um if you're going to be an asshole or someone that's like so full of themselves that they can't like really be compassionate towards other people i just like I don't know what's, I don't really care what you're doing outside of that. And then it becomes about like something else. Now I'm in a power position. I'm going to be teaching next year, you know, in a conservatory. I'm dealing with an institution and I'm trying to find a way. A prestigious institution. And also, and and also taking the place of Of a prestigious, of a prestigious, well-known, internationally respected composer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's like, I also really, that's the one thing that I think that Marc Andre does really well is that he, when you're talking to him, it is, not about power it's about spirituality for him and that's why he's a composer and you can feel that and you can feel like him thinking through ideas and being really respectful and and so i want to find a way next year of like of empowering people in themselves in that institution and also realizing like just because you're in a certain level in a certain position like you're just as everyone's on the same plane as you you know you just have different experience and you can help them become more empowered and supporting people and I don't know. I just believe in that somehow. So for me, like IRCOM was like sort of this weird, um, like obvious, you know, institution of power and resource and ego and people playing games to have like be respected in a certain way. Um, and also as a woman, that's like a whole nother issue because it's like, you know, most of the women in that place are the secretaries. They're not the composers. There's some composers. It's, old, it's that level of old school. I, it's like, you think I it was a boys club? Never. Oh my. Well, I mean, okay. The whole thing is a boys club. Okay. Right? So being a composer is a boys club. <laughs> the whole world. But, yeah. It's like yeah. the world's club, a boys club. But being a composer is really being in a boys club. And in IRCOM, you just like, you know, it's like you just really feel objectified. And and just to, yeah. But I deal with that, I think, just as much in Berlin, honestly. Um, and... 
But so that's a whole nother issue. I found I when I was there, I happened to have two colleague, female colleagues who were just amazing and talented and supportive. And I was really, really lucky. So in the end, we like, because of the situation we were in, we really bonded with each other and learned how to support each other. So we, I think we got something out of that a lot. But I feel like that's a whole, that's like a whole nother issue to talk about. Yeah, so it's like this whole thing of like finding artistic freedom, which I didn't when I was at EarCam. I don't think it can't happen. I just couldn't because I want music to be able to fail sometimes. I want my ideas. I need that possibility and not like it has to be perfect. You know, it has to come out perfectly. And I you felt that the pressure. Risk. You need to you take need the, the risk. risk. Yeah. You need the risk. Otherwise, it's like it's just making another beautiful thing that can do what it's supposed to do. And it does it right, you know. Um, and at the end of the day, what does that give people? Exactly. Yeah. And what like, does it give the world? If, like somehow. you came in yeah. expecting something, you got what you ex- you got what yeah. you expected, and because of that, you walked away with nothing new. Yeah. So what am I doing? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like the whole thing of like how do we challenge ourselves as humans, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and then as artists. And so for me, it's like I couldn't make that space work for me. I think that some people can, and um, and they can still find that way to challenge themselves. Um. I got tools out of it that I use that work for me and I can find them to like make, help me do what I want to do. Um, I would, I find like, and there's, there's also, because it's this institution, there is like, and there, and there is hierarchy. It's not supposed to be about that. It's supposed to be about exchange, but it's not, it's about hierarchy. So then like you have people that are like developing tools because they believe in, you know, they, like the programmers that are there, the tech guys that are there, like everyone supposedly is about this exchange, but then they get shortchanged because it is about this like prestigious composer in the end and they get the reputation and like the tech person who sometimes does most of the work, you know, the assistant doesn't get the recognition that the composer does. And it's like, oh, and so then they do a half-assed job too, you know, they're like, well, why would I invest myself so much in something when you're going to get, it's going to be like, it's your piece and I... Don't even get recognized. For uh, this. We need to get rid of that image of like this. Like uh, this is my vision, especially if you're going to do yeah. a collaboration. It's yeah. like they, everyone needs to be credited strongly. You know, it's not like a film by blah 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 blah, and then that's all that's on there. Right. And it's like yeah. no, you need to at least roll the credits at the end. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and people yeah. that make that vision just as you know where it is like an equality yeah. of, of vision. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of frustration in that place, and it it's because. I think like because of the way but everybody it's set up feels it, Wait, I, did... a lot of people do. Like I think a lot of the tech people get frustrated. A lot of the programmers, depending, you know, some people, but some people really make it work for them too. So it should be about exchange. How much is and how much is it about exchange? How much is it about power? You know, I, but I, like you said, I think it's a human issue. It's like, and but we just see it in the earcom more than anywhere else. Wow! And that was your diplomatic answer. That was my diplomatic answer. <laughs> you should have heard me like. <laughs> Ago, huh? you just, like a few years ago where you just where you just like uh, I just like make uh, faces and like oh you know, it's like it's like turns into like a late 90s like gangster beef like just like yo fuck your cat man that was my fuck that place exactly. bunch of chumps living there man bunch of phonies but so what kind of people do you think that institution produces then why do people go? Why then? Why why oh. why do people go there? Because it's old and prestigious, I mean, and it's a people, good way to. Yeah, I mean, there's also like you think you know you go there thinking you're really gonna get something out of it, where you like really can go there with your vision and have it like all these resources at your hand, and um, and I think for some people that I know people that that does happen. That's what happens, you know. And it's this idea of like resource and when do resources? When is it about you know? 
making better art and when is it about your own um, need for like superior validation or something but yeah I don't know it's like why do people do anything I think I, I think it's just like earcom is just another institution um that depending on the people inside of it and how you know like I don't think it's producing it's like society is producing certain types of people and like and France as a society is producing certain types of people and a certain people art and like and most people a lot of people that the, when the system works for them because a lot like if you the system if you're part of that system of France like if your music resonates with their system like your life is really nice you know there's a lot of it really like it's like life can be if you get France to work for you like some people just like they connect to that system and like Life is really, really nice, you know? What's up with those people, though? I'm always like, really? Everything is just so perfect for you that, like, you just fit perfectly into the, the thing? Yeah. And I, I'm, not, I'm not questioning, like, yeah. I'm not questioning that that's genuine or not. Right. Like, I'm not saying you're just playing a part so you fit into the system. But it's just a shame but is that all we get is that, yeah, right? Yeah. All we get is the people that resonate with the system yeah. and, like, the people that don't resonate, we don't know what they're doing. We don't know where they are. There's actually no room for them in... You know, like they're not coming up. Like in Berlin, there's room for those people. The weirdos. It's like you can make that space happen. Yeah, you know? it's true. And that's... that's what's really nice about it. And even in the U.S., I think you can make it more for you than in France. It's like you, if you, if well, you cut your tomato just as nicely as it's supposed to be cut, like, and you like can make that good salad, you'll be appreciated. You'll have, you'll just get all these resources, and you'll be able to like flow with it. But then it's like, what about the person that's making a really great? like unique way of dealing with ice cream or something that we don't know about. And it's some new, you know, but, but they don't, they don't get any of the resources because it's like, it's not working in the way it's supposed to work. So, you know? so this is my stage. first day of class, uh, of you replacing Mark on, you just, <laughs> you just bring in. Tarkovsky just, was actually my no, idea. No, 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 no. You, this, this is what you, this is what you got to do. The bell rings or whatever happens. You bring in a plate with a tomato on it. And you just cut it the wrong way. Whatever, just the wrong, like the wrongest way. You're like cutting it with a spoon. You're like smashing with a spoon. You make them eat it. You make them eat it. That's the whole class. Class dismissed. And you just let that sink in. And then they're ready to learn. Yeah, yeah. I like the spoon too, you know? Yeah, it's just like, it's not even a knife. It's a spoon, you know? I was like, this is what the year is going to be. Yeah. We're going to be squishing that tomato. Mm, squishing that tomato. Your homework is to, this is your homework, is to is to eat a tomato with a spoon. There's going to be a test at the end of the week on how incorrectly you could slice a tomato. Uh. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Thank you for doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're listening to my rambling. <laughs> no, it's not, come on. This is I mean, this is what they're this is what they're about. So yeah, please ramble away. The night could last forever. Leave the sun shine out and say hello. So this is a, a what, what what do we call this? An epilogue, a part two. Yeah, epilogue. And Proceed. maybe you want to explain really quick the reason, and maybe get a little bit closer to the mic. Okay, these are fifty eights. Um, um, yeah, well, the reason we decided to have some kind of epilogue is um, because I am not teaching this year in Strasbourg in the end. Um, kind of basically what happened was that the director, there's a new director there, and he decided to do something else. Basically, you know, Mark uh, Andre had asked me to replace him. He talked to the director. The director was like, 
okay have her send me my c my her cv i sent it to him he's like okay this is good to go like he was all like come down here for the exam meet the students i went down there i met the students i met like the was introduced to the building so they brought you through all, this whole pro this like, whole, whole process, process. and then when i and then it was like august and the director wrote to to mark and said that basically he decided to try and get mannery in and then he had another woman that he wanted to like substitute when mannery wasn't around um, which was just, it's just the way he handled it that was really, you know, it wasn't like, oh, maybe, but I'm trying something else too. But if it was like, oh, okay, like this is good to go. And now it's not. Why do you think these things happen? I mean, I think it's, it was super political. And I think the director um, was being, you know, it's kind of bringing up all these parts of institutions that you hate, kind of, you know, bringing up these power games and these things about like prestige that people and like image that people want that play in this game, which I really hate about institutions. I also decided to kind of use the experience because um, either I can linger because for me, I, I do have issues with like institutions in power. Like it's something that really bothers me. Um, and it's something that I have to learn how to deal with, I think, and confront it in a good way and not in an unhealthy way. I'm not there yet. Um, but I decided to try to not focus on that part of the aspect, but to focus on like, well, what was I interested in doing and what, um, about this opportunity, like, or also use the disappointing energy to like apply for grants, to start different projects with other people. And those, you I just, know, yeah, I just like started yeah. applying for stuff after that. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to use this energy like towards something else. I like that this, I'm, I've never heard that term before, using my disappointed energy. <laughs> I had so much disappointed energy. My, like... I've never heard the term disappointed energy. My disappointed energy usually ends in a nap. That's where I go. I take like a depression nap or something. Yeah. I'm like, oh man. And I like go to sleep and I wake up and I'm still disappointed. I don't use that energy to like write a grant. Or yeah, something. write a grant. You know. Oh man, that's insane. So what now? Well, I mean, I guess it, I mean right now I'm still. I, that was another thing. It's like it kind of forced me to like look at well, what am I doing? Is this the right path for me? Am I? Because I was just kind of you know in Berlin doing this bohemian get by freelance kind of life which you know and in a way it was what I needed after grad school it's like okay after grad school I just was really had enough of institutions for all like the reasons that I mentioned um, and I feel I'm not I'm still in that space like I'm still in the space of just like wanting freedom I think it I think my mind works really well right now in the freedom space like I just I linger on ideas it's kind of like long as I want to, as deep as I want to. And I find a freedom, I find like a depth in that freedom. And I'm really like happy to be in that space. Good for you for figuring that out. Cause that freedom space can fuck a lot of people. I up. think it can, yeah. like, I don't think yeah. it's right for it can, everybody. Yeah, Some people it can need be, structure. It can, it can really screw with your head and like your sense of like direction. If yeah. you don't, yeah. if you don't have like a, uh, a regiment that you have every day yeah and that and that's something that you can even like put your creativity in, in a certain type of structure. Right. When you say, I have to find a positive way to approach institutions. What do you mean? Like, what do you mean by that? Well, why? Why even if you work well in the in that free open space, why even bother dealing with them? Yeah, I guess there's. A, I guess it's. I have. Um, well, the, so the thing that I was thinking about is like one. First of all, it's like yeah, why bother? That was my initial kind of decision. Um, one thing I've learned, I think, from life is that institutions are not. There are power games everywhere. So it's like running away from institutions isn't going to run away from power games. Institutions just make it more 
noticeable somehow you know like it's just obvious okay and these power structures are kind of much more um, non-flexible but that being said I think for me what I have been I guess thinking about is the one thing I do like about let's say teaching because I think that's or I would say in the teaching more than institutions that I like because um, I think outside of institutions like research, you can either cultivate your own environment of like meeting people, having discussions. It doesn't. Those are the things I, I, I guess what I miss. Sorry, I'm being super incoherent here. <laughs> it's like, but what I miss from institutions was like the structure, the building structure of critical discourse. Like I really like that. I really like grad school and like talking about ideas. Um, but then outside of that, it's like I've been learning how to build that on my own, like how to, you know, find people who can have that kind of different way of thinking about things and talking about things, um, how to, you know, make sure they're a part of my life. So I don't need to be a part of an institution for that. But I think the thing that I was excited about with the the Strasbourg opportunity was the teaching and cultivating thinking. And I'm, for me, this is like a big, I guess, something I value is thinking. Like, I really think it's something that I think the creative arts can add to academia is a different perspective on thinking. It's a different way of thinking, which I think is valuable. And I really somehow believe in, I don't know if I'm being clear here, but it's like in like different perspective and different angles. And so I think like with with my music or my art, it's like it's one way of kind of opening up how you can think about some things, you know? And I think like it's great that all people who are artistic are doing this or having some kind of artistic part of their life. And then I think education is another way to cultivate thinking like if you really come to the plate of like but I guess that's something that does interest me although right this moment I'm I'd say like for I'm not super interested in going back to an institution to do that but I could see myself someday really wanting that it's like you know how to be a good mentor to people of how to bring help them like realize the way that their perspective is no matter how strange it is like that's good like I really believe in strange perspectives of things what makes somebody good at that what's that kind of skill what's that skill like i don't know because it's something i'm trying to do like i've started some kinds of discussion groups so people can like talk about ideas but i guess for me i've just noticed like i've noticed conversations i've had with people where i felt like the conversation went somewhere together where we really thought through an idea together like with a friend and then i've had conversations where it was just almost about trying to prove each other wrong or right or something you know and so i'm more interested in the first and not in the second and so for me the first one what was interesting i think it was that both people were open enough to allow the idea to become flexible. And it was so it wasn't like this thing, like, I'm absolutely sure of this, but it's like, I'm still thinking about this. The other person's still thinking about that. I really listen to what they say. But then there's also some kind of connection where we both kind of understand what the other person's saying, too. And then you like when you have that moment of like growth of an idea, I find it really amazing, actually. Cool. Well, I think that's a good epilogue yeah yeah well thank you for uh doing this again yeah well and thank a- you for <laughs> listening to me laugh over and over again it's a, it's a pleasure <laughs> thank you yeah.